You know, I've always thought that when we Americans get up in the morning, when we see bacon, eggs, toast, and milk on our breakfast table, we should give thanks that our farmers are survivors. You are the real miracle workers of the modern world, keepers of an incredible system based on faith, freedom, hard work, productivity, and profit, a system that feeds us and sustains millions of the world's hungry. Timeless words from a great American president. Welcome back to Groundwork, the podcast where we unpack farm policy and dig into the details of the issues important to rural America. I'm your host, Tom Sell. Now, farming and food supply have become topics all Americans are discussing around the kitchen table as our nation recovers from COVID-19 pandemic. It seems like really for the first time in a long time, consumers are just very interested in where their food comes from. And they want to know what the government is doing to make sure that the grocery store shelves stay stocked and with affordable and safe food. Now, to help put some context around these big public policy questions, um, we're taking a look at how Congress and the White House have guided farm policies through the words of American presidents and, and really some of the best analysis in the business from my great friend, Jeff Harrison. Jeff and I have worked side by side advocating for strong farm policy in Washington for years. He's a respected expert on the history of American farm policy. I can't wait to hear his thoughts. So let's jump right in with the words of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt during one of the most challenging times in our nation's history. No cracked earth, no blistering sun, no burning wind, no grasshoppers are a permanent match for the indomitable American farmers and stockmen and their wives and children who have carried on through desperate days and inspire us with their self-reliance, their tenacity, and their courage. It was their father's task to make homes. It is their task to keep these homes. And it is our task to help them win their fight. It is indeed our task to help them with their fight. That was FDR discussing the resiliency of American farmers during a fireside chat in 1936. Great history there. Jeff, I want to ask you, how has U.S. farm policy helped farmers and ranchers in the fight over the course of our nation's history? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you started off with, um, with FDR's uh, fireside chat in 1936 about the importance of agriculture. Um, certainly, FDR definitely had a, a, a big footprint on, on U.S. farm policy, but the reality of it is, is that American agriculture uh, policy has been around since the very beginning of our country. Uh, we have had, uh, I'd like to think of it as basically five phases of, of federal U.S. farm policy, uh, beginning with, the, with the, our very first Congress in 1790. Uh, when George Washington presided over basically kind of one of the first sort of homestead acts. Um, and shortly thereafter, about 10 years later, uh, John Adams did the same thing, uh, where basically uh, people were encouraged to go out and settle land and farm it. Um, and that was done through eased credit. Um, it was done through, um, at least initially, and uh, significantly reduced land prices. And um, if you really think about it, uh, this, this sort of phase one of U.S. farm policy continued probably every decade or so 
to help farmers, to help Americans, you know, produce homegrown domestic food supply. This FDR timeframe, it was, it was an amazing time because it was post mechanical revolution where you had two things going on. One, you had a great depression, which had a, a dramatic impact on commodity prices. Um, agricultural products, commodities could now be traded and shipped across vast areas. And it had a fundamental change in the economy and it depressed. Uh, that along with the, the sinking demand because of the Great Depression, really depressed prices. At the same time you had that, you had a farmer who had been using a team of mules uh, to, to, to plow and to tend and cultivate the ground, could all of a sudden buy a little, you know, a one row uh, tractor plow and cover twice as much ground in a day. And so the economies were, well, I'm, I'm, I'm one man and I can cover twice as much ground and therefore make twice as much crop, I better do that because prices are sinking. And, and it was kind of that phenomenon that really led to what was really an overplowing of the West that created the Dust Bowl. And so kind of a federal response was needed at that time, was it not? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and, and of course we did, we did um, do uh, incredible conservation practices that the Department of Agriculture still administers today. Um, we, we beat the Dust Bowl at the same time we were uh, winning a war against a, an incredibly evil uh, power and uh, lifting ourselves out of an economic depression that the country had never known before. Federal policy obviously has really helped farmers while making sure consumers, um, all of us, had safe, abundant, affordable food, fiber supplies from the very beginning of our nation. Um, but it also took kind of a global crisis of World War II to really drive home the need for strong domestic uh, supply of food and fiber, particularly after that mechanical revolution and once we started shipping commodities everywhere. Uh, World War II really brought about the kind of need to, to be able to produce this domestically. Here's President Harry Truman campaigning in Iowa in 1948, a few months after the end of the war. Listen to his words. It does my heart good to see the green fields of this nation once more. They are a wonderful sight. The record-breaking harvests you have been getting in recent years have been a blessing. Millions of people have been saved from starvation by the food you have produced. The whole world has reason to be everlastingly grateful to the farmers of the United States. Jeff, what happened during World War II and after that really changed farming in America? Well, I think that one of the things that you have to remember is that, um, you know, the idea of rationing food became a, a, a big thing during World War II. Um, and uh, farmers were encouraged to produce as much food and fiber as they possibly could. In fact, I've got a, a uh, sign in my, uh, a, a poster hanging up in my office that basically says, you know, produce more sugar beets. It's sugar beets, uh, sugar is energy and our troops need them. And pretty much uh, every commodity had a poster, something like that. But, uh, you know, we saw basically, uh, you know, widespread um, want and deprivation 
during the war outside of our borders. Um, and I think that there was a real determination that that wouldn't happen here at home. And there was also a recognition that probably, you know, the ramping up of food production during the war to help see our allies through as well as ourselves, um, that things were going to fundamentally change in, in, the, in the near term. Um, and of course, uh, uh, after World War II, we were entering, we were no longer sort of an insular country anymore, were we? And uh, our country, our world became a lot smaller. Um, and global trade, there was an emphasis put on that. In fact, I don't know if you know this, Tom, but the first uh, GATT agreement uh, to reduce tariffs and to and promote uh, global trade was in 1947. So as you know, there's greater efficiency going on among farmers because they're doing what they do so well. There's also um, there's also uh, basically increased increased competition, and um, and uh, you can you can you know what happens next. Basically, you you wind up in a situation where you get um, depressed prices. Um, and it, farmers are always really over the long haul, they operate at near zero margins because it's a perfectly competitive industry, uh, agriculture. And so basically they really, when they, when they, when they make hay during the, when the sun shines, they really got to make hay in order to survive the bad years that when it, when it, when it's not so sunny out there economically for them. The post-war economy was not smooth sailing. Uh, we, we've already established that. There were some additional challenges to the ag economy. By the 1950s, farmers and ranchers struggling again because of some of this oversupply. So down on the farm uh, with the prices they received. And then by the 80s, goodness, the rural, rural crisis uh, had, was, was now in a full-blown financial crisis, uh, reaping havoc upon even our national economy in the big cities, it was felt big crisis in the 1980s. This is from, uh, and, and I have a quote here uh, from President Ronald Reagan's radio address on agriculture in 1982. Take a listen to this. It's imperative that all of us work together to reduce the growing tide of protectionism and export subsidies overseas. If other countries can't understand an even-handed approach is in everybody's best interest, if they're not willing to play by the rules of the game, then let there be no mistake. We must and we will counter with strong measures of our own to permit American farmers to realize the benefits of their extraordinary productivity. Jeff, what is it we learned from the 1980s uh, farm financial crisis and how has that influenced uh, policy from that time? You know, I think that what we learned in, in, from the 80s uh, farm financial crisis, um, or at least what we ought to have learned from the 1980s farm financial crisis, is that um, you know basically what had had occurred is um, uh, the and I don't mean to vilify the 85 Farm Bill you know I'm sure there were constraints um, but it ultimately proved uh, unable to address uh, a and and ultimately stop a full-fledged farm financial crisis and and a farm financial crisis that didn't stop at the farm gate and um, in towns like yours and mine, uh, but but spilled over and and wreaked havoc on on the economies of big cities like Minneapolis and Chicago. Um, it really had a incredibly uh, depressing effect, a drag on the entire national economy in the 1980s, and it was largely because we had a farm policy that wasn't up to the task, and uh, and 
And to be honest with you, Washington acted too slowly. Um, when they did act, um, it was in a big way, and it did lift us out of that malaise that we had, well, worse than malaise, it, you know, because I'm old enough, Tom, I don't know if you are, but I'm old enough to remember all the storefronts uh, beginning to shutter uh, uh, in the town next to mine. Our town was too small to have many storefronts, so, but I do remember that little town of 4600 losing a lot of businesses during that time, and it was because of the farm crisis of the 1980s. Um, and so uh, having, a, having a strong farm policy, you know, that's built on the idea that things aren't always going to be good in agriculture and it needs to snap into place when things are bad. And then secondarily, to the extent that, you know, uh, permanent farm policy is not uh, in place that's adequate to deal with the task at hand, uh, to step in promptly and decisively to, to address it. Because once it gets out of hand, uh, it's hard to get the genie back in the bottle. Um, and that's, I think, one of the one of the big lessons of the 1980s uh, farm financial crisis. And by the way, we had an opportunity to learn from the 1950s when uh, when um, when the uh, farm economy tanked under one of our farm bills that wasn't up to the task of addressing the crisis. And um, and uh, um, we didn't learn that lesson uh, at that point in time. And um, so hopefully, you know, hope springs eternal. And, and, and as we continue uh, the next 200 years of developing farm policy, hopefully we've, we'll, 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 we'll begin to learn from those lessons. Jeff, I, man, I, I love that you mentioned, you know, sometimes Congress is slow to act by design. We have this great checks and balances, inefficient form of government. But I remember I was kind of coming of age in the 80s. And of course, you had this kind of massive public outcry that was going. You had you know, John Cougar Mellencamp, the great rocker, you know, talking about the suffering in rural America. It's when he and <laughs> great, you know, a great Midwest, uh, Southwest combination of John Cougar Mellencamp and Willie Nelson starting uh, the early days of Farm Aid, really trying to stand beside the American farmers. Because even the American public intrinsically knew uh, the important work that, that, that farmers and ranchers do to, to, to keep us all fed and in, in ample supply. So it was really, I kind of backing up, you know, 40 years later, it's kind of neat to see the public outcry that occurred in those, in those mid eighties. And, and eventually of course, you know, the, the, the Congress and, and the administration, uh, Secretary Ling and, and the, in the Reagan administration did respond in, in some fairly proactive ways. Uh, it just took a while to get there. So then Jeff, we, 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 did see another time of, of uh, kind of relative, and, and this seems to be the pattern, you know, peaks and valleys. So we saw another time of relative prosperity in the 1990s, and, uh, but it was also a time when farmers were required to leverage more and more risk. There was a string of extremely tough years then for farmers at the end of the 90s and into the early 2000s that required Congress to enact several disaster bills to save farmers and the rural economy. I know you were a big part of that. President Bill Clinton emphasized the need to support farmers during a speech during this time to the National Farmers Union in 1998. Take a listen to this. Again, I say I think every American's got a stake in rural America. Our farms feed the world and us at very low real cost at very high quality. They also feed our sense of ourselves. They reinforce our values of hard work and faith and family and devotion to community and the land. 
Jeff, what would you say? How would you frame it? What did we learn from the 1990s crisis? I think what we learned from the 1990s crisis is, is, is the lesson that we ought to have learned, um, which is that basically um, when, when the farm and ranch economy collapses, um, it's going to affect rural communities across the country, and it's going to affect the entire national economy. And you've got to step in and you've got to deal with it decisively and effectively. And that's exactly what was done. If you remember, you were here at the time, you had arrived not too long uh, before this point, um, when, uh, you know, Orion Samuelson at one point in time had said that we wouldn't see $2 corn again. And of course, we, had, we wouldn't for about five years because we were seeing a dollar corn. Um, you probably remember uh, cotton prices were 20 cents a pound. Uh, corn was definitely under a buck. Um, and uh, you had a situation where um, uh, hogs were eight cents a pound. I'm just, all these are in, just burned into my, seared into my, my memory because um, really, um, I didn't see anything like it. Um, and the, you know, the, the, you know, and yet, and yet, between 1998 and 2002, during that terrible time for agriculture, um, agriculture weathered the storm. It not only weathered the storm, but also it lifted up the U.S. economy, which, is, if you remember right, was hemorrhaging manufacturing jobs left and right in the early 2000s um, um, for a variety of reasons. And the ag economy, because of sound federal farm policy, um, agriculture was an economic juggernaut for the whole country. And again, it was decisive action. And, and you know, uh, uh, it was, you know, uh, Larry Combest, uh, uh, West Texan, and Charlie Stenholm, um, guys like that, and um, uh, both of Texas, a Republican and Democrat, guys like Kent Conrad of North Dakota and, and, and a Democrat um, and, uh, and the like that basically just recognized the extraordinary danger um, that we were in and, and they dealt with it. And it, it, was, um, it made the difference. So the current administration and Congress continue to support farmers and ranchers in rural America. This has been especially important due to ongoing rural recession just in these last few years that's gripped the heartland and caused really lasting damage to the farm economy. In 2018, a bipartisan farm bill uh, passed Congress. This is the last farm bill that, that came into effect, the last amendment to those 49 and 38 acts uh, that, that you mentioned earlier, Jeff. Um, it passed with an overwhelming majority, in fact, the, the, the most significant majority in modern history, and was signed into law by President Donald Trump. Let's listen to a clip from, from President Trump. With the passage of the Farm Bill, we are delivering to the farmers and ranchers who are the heart and soul of America all sorts of things that they never even thought possible. We are ensuring that American agriculture will always feed our families, nourish our communities, power our commerce, and inspire our nation. Jeff, looking ahead, what do you see as the biggest challenges for American farm policy as we recover from the pandemic? hopefully get back to work. What, what are the big challenges that farmers are gonna face uh, in, in, in this year and in the coming years for farm policy? You know, we've been blessed, extraordinarily blessed. Um, but you know, these COVID-19 days have reminded everybody 
that um, we're not invincible and that, you know, basically people were frustrated when they went to the grocery store uh, and didn't get what they didn't find what they were looking for. Um, I do think it. I, I do think it's an amazing thing that it, through the, when farmers or ranchers are going into the field or going into a pasture or going into a dairy parlor, knowing that they're going to lose their shirts this year, uh, and the fact that they get up and do it every day is is, is just amazing to me. Um, but you know, the, the agriculture was resilient, and it and it and, and it got back up on its feet, and it kept supplying the food and fiber that Americans expect. But it's these that success also has a downside, and it's it's um, basically people taking things for granted. And I and I think that basically um, going forward, um, you know, I, I think we have a tendency to you know basically you know if you give your son or daughter maybe things a little too easily, um, they have a tendency to sort of expect it and not think that's a big deal when they get it. Um, and I think the same thing is true of all of us, isn't it? We don't, you know, normally question whether we're going to have enough food uh, at the grocery store, um, you know. So, so I think that those are some of the challenges that we've gotten, and it's going to be, it's going to take reminders, you know. Hopefully, we don't have any situation where you know people, um, uh, where we have a COVID-19 situation again, where people are reminded of how precious. A domestic safe supply of food is, um, but it's going to take reminders, constant reminders um, about just how important farmers and ranchers are. So sticking by policies like a farm bill, sticking by one of the things we haven't talked about is the extraordinary uh, service of crop insurance. You know, this thing, it started in 1938, but it hobbled along. It was a disaster in of itself until 1980 when um, they decided to, to turn it over to the private sector, to agents and companies to help shoulder the risk and, and uh, get farmers to pay for their coverage. And, and it, just, it, it skyrocketed. Now most everybody has insurance. And by the way, most every farmer has to have insurance if he wants to get a loan for the same reason why I have to have insurance if I want to get a, a mortgage on my house or to, to, uh, to have a, a car loan. Um, it's, you know, and, and you have to stand by those kinds of policies um, because basically if, if you don't stand by crop insurance, for example, and farmers are wiped out, those little communities are going to be wiped out too um, because they're depending on an agricultural economy that's going to, that's going to keep Main Street open. Um, so, you know, basically uh, in answer to your question, uh, you know, um, it's just going to it's going to require extraordinary education efforts of people who who may not be as familiar with agriculture um, to understand just how important it is to them and their in our country um, and to the world and um, and and to share with them the reminders of how things have gone badly when we haven't done the right thing in regard to agriculture. Those are great points, and, and it is encouraging that the last farm bill passed with some record margins, because uh, I, I think you, among others, have, have done really a, uh, a great job in articulately making these arguments uh, to the Congress and our policymakers. Jeff, you and I could speak for days. I could listen to you for, uh, for days on these topics. As always, thank you for your knowledge, more importantly, for your dedication to, to helping Americans and, and really helping our nation, but also helping Congress craft the best possible 
foreign policy. And thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. It's, it's always a great pleasure to, to listen to you. Well, thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. And, and of course, you know me well enough to know that I'm just not going to stop right there. I want to leave you with just a few, uh, few uh, numbers to, 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 to mull over uh, about what's at stake and U.S. foreign policy and, and, the, and the blood, sweat, toil, and tears of America's farmers and ranchers. Um, agriculture, um, the last number I saw, contributed a whopping $992 billion uh, towards our gross domestic product in the United States, uh, about 6% of our economy, 21 million American jobs, 11% of the U.S. workforce, uh, contributes to an actual trade surplus rather than a deficit, which we've got an enormous trade deficit, as you know. Um, and all this, we're paying less for our, of our disposable income on food than any other citizen in the world. There are only seven other countries that basically where people spend less than 10% of their disposable income on food, and they don't come close to, to, uh, to, uh, to the United States in terms of, of, um, of how low um, um, our food costs are as a, as a, in terms of what we spend uh, of our income. And, um, and it's all being done, all this is supported by uh, expenditure in terms of a taxpayer of less than a quarter of a percent. Uh, I just think that's a remarkable uh, story. And, um, and again, hopefully no, it, the, the old adage that no good deed goes unpunished is, is not true in this case because it's been 200 years of building this incredibly successful model. Um, 200 straight years of a lot of work and uh, easier to tear down things than it is to build. And this thing is too important to tear down. We've got to keep building. That's perfectly said. And it not only blesses our nation yearly, daily, with every meal, but it blesses the world. I mean, we, we do export so much and it all starts with those farm families that are willing to, to, to take on the risk on a yearly basis to plant that seed or to uh, uh, perform the tasks that they do to, to uh, provide us with this, this great abundance that we know as a nation. That's a perfect way to end. Thank you so much again, Jeff. That's going to do it for this episode of Groundwork. I'm Tom Sell.